you would like to be going ahead and opening your Bibles up to the book of Genesis, we are going to be beginning our study there in just a moment. Genesis chapter 35. And I know that you, just like me, are uh, here today treasuring the blessing that we have to be able to come here this morning and to uh, remember, as we have done already, the, the, the death of our Savior, to, to memorialize and commemorate um, that event as we do every first day of the week. We have been here and been able to sing these songs that we, we have done, lifting up one another and praising our great God. And today is truly, truly the day of our Lord. Let's take all other thoughts that we might have in our minds and let's just set those things aside for this time. Let's focus intently uh, on Him and on His Word. I want to talk to you a little bit today about uh, a little bit about the idea of forgetfulness. I think it's safe to say that all of us at some time in our life are forgetful. Uh, I am a very forgetful person. In fact, if I, if I were to say that I was just sharp as a tag and could remember everything, well, you'd, you'd feel the building roll over with Holly's eyes because she knows that is not true at all. I am very very forgetful. I constantly, every day, where did I lay my keys down at? Where did, what did I do with my phone? Where is this? Where is that? I have a, a, a time with that. And I want to look at another character in the Bible that seems to have forgotten something. Uh, something is, has maybe left their mind uh, as to something that they said long ago. I want to talk about the forgotten promise of Jacob. In Genesis 35, we read about God <coughs> excuse me, giving Jacob a command to go back to Bethel and to build an altar. Read with me Genesis 35, verses 1 through 7. Then God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and live there, and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods which are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. And let us arise, and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the days of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods which they had, and the rings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak which was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, there was a great terror upon the cities which was around them. And they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Have you ever wondered why God gave this command to Jacob? Why did God command this? Was, it, was God feeling um, that he, just, he needed a little bit of worship right now? I, it's been a while since I've got some worship and I need some worship. I'm going to go down here and I'm going to pick on old Jacob. I'm going to send him down here to build me an altar. On Wednesday night, Charles spoke about Psalm 8. And it poses the question in Psalms 8. It says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? That is one of the things that has just fascinated me growing up was studying history. Studying things that have happened long ago and especially when it came to studying, studying very ancient history and looking at the mythologies of other people and that the things that they claimed were deities and the things that they claimed their deities did. And one of these things that, that their so-called deities did 
that always stuck out to me was how meddlesome they were. A lot of these Roman and Greek gods, if they were bored, if they were hungry, uh, if, even if they were sad, well, they would interfere with mankind. They would demand things of them, or they would do certain things to them to get a, just to get a rise out of them. But God, the one true God, Jehovah, He does not meddle. He is a jealous God, and He has shown wrath, and He has shown sorrow. But He never depends on man to do things to appease him. So, so why does God then randomly decide, Jacob, you need to build me an altar? Well, nearly 30 years before, Jacob had made a vow, a promise. And it seems that it had forgotten about that promise. So now God is calling on him to fulfill what he had promised he would do. And we learn several lessons from this account of Jacob's forgotten promise, which can easily be applied to our services as Christians but before we begin to look at these lessons, I want to point out a little bit about the historical background <coughs> the historical background uh, that is going on here. That might help us out some. So 30 years before, 30 years prior to Genesis 35, Jacob has made a promise. Turn over to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. We see that Jacob is fleeing the wrath of his brother Esau. He, is, he has stolen Esau's blessings from the father Isaac. And they, they all live down in Beersheba. I'm going to try to put it up here on the map. So they all live down here in, in this area of Beersheba, down south. And they're going to, to Jacob is going to steal the, the blessings from, his, from, from Esau. He's going to steal them from, from Isaac. And then he is going to have to run away because Esau decides, I'm going to kill Jacob. And so he runs up here to Haran where his family lives. His uncle Laban uh, lives there. And on the way, he stops in what is, what is called Bethel. Um, Bethel is a little town right here. Actually, I've got a better picture of it. Um, he stops along the way in Bethel, or a land called Luz. And when he's there is where we find this account of the dream that Jacob had. Yeah, there we go. So he's going he's gonna to stop right along the, uh, the way, right in here in Luz, which is about uh, 20 miles south of Shechem. And it's roughly 80 miles, 60 to 80 miles from Beersheba. So he's gone a pretty good ways from Beersheba. He stops here in Genesis 28. And in verse 10 through 15, we read of this dream that he has. It says, Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth. And with its top reaching to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, looking back, uh, you know, from, from our day, we see that this is just a magnificent promise that God is giving because it is through this promise, it is through, through God's uh, vow that He makes here to Jacob that we will eventually see the coming of Christ come to, to offer that, that blessing for the entire earth, for all the families of the earth. But Jacob awakes 
from this dream, uh, and he is, he is blown away by it, and he's prompted to make a vow. Continue reading verse 16. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. <coughs> he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. There is none other than the, than the house of God, or excuse me, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. And he called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city has been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, then I return to my father's house in safety. Then the Lord will be my God. And the stone which I have set up as a pillar will be, my, be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. The dream that, that Jacob has prompts him to make this vow, to make the Lord his God if he carries out his promises. To sanctify the stone, or to set apart the stone which his head had rested on, and set it up as a pillar. To give God a tenth of all that he has. And so we see him leaving Bethel. He goes on into, into Haran, and he spends the next 20 years spends the next 20 years living with his uncle uh, uh, Laban in Haran. Genesis 29-31 through 31 in, d- depicts this time that he lives with him. And then, at a time, he is called uh, to, to return home. But on the way, he settles in Canaan. <coughs> Excuse me. He settles in Canaan in Genesis uh, chapter 33, verses 18 and verse 20. It says, Now Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. And when he came from Padan Aram, he camped before the city, and then erected there an altar and called it El Eloha Israel, which means the God of Israel. I want you to notice that he, he by the time of our text in verse 35, Jacob is living in Canaan. He's been in Canaan for some nearly 10 years now. Uh, and he is settled near the city of Shechem. He just came to um, the, the city just before Shechem, uh, Succoth, and now he's moved over into Shechem. And this is going to get him into a, a lot of trouble, not necessarily not him, but his children with the inhabitants of Shechem uh, because of his daughter Dinah and, and, and the, the son Shechem of, of uh, Hamor. Excuse me. So, so he's going to have a lot of trouble here, but he just decides, you know what, though? This is the place where I'm going to settle down. He's doing well. He's, be, he's growing wealth. His family is doing well. Um, and, and so we see Jacob becoming a little bit content, content with where he's at. And when things become content, we sometimes see that our minds begin to, to fade as opposed to the things that were really important to us at one time. But I want you to notice that Jacob had not forgotten about God in all this time. He had not forgotten who God was. In fact, when he gets to Shechem, it's one of the first things he does is he erects an altar to to God. He sets up this altar for the God of Israel. But even though he had not forgotten about God, and even though God had kept his promises, it does seem that Jacob had forgotten about the promise he made to return to Bethel, where the Lord had first appeared to him and where he had made his vow. He had not bothered to go back. And so that brings us to Genesis 35, verse 1. He said, it's time for you to return. So what lessons, what principles of of truth can we learn from this account? 
What I want to notice this morning is there are several. <clears throat> there are several applications. The first one is God expects us to keep our vows. That might be one of the most obvious things that we can learn from this is that when we make a vow, God said, expects us to be people of our word. He doesn't take them lightly and neither should we. Turn over to Ecclesiastes for a moment. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Read with me verses 2 through 5. It says, Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better than better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. <clears throat> we see that God it takes vows very, very seriously. And so we too should take vows very, very seriously. We should be sure to, to keep any covenant or vow that we make, especially if we make a, a covenant with God. For example, the vow that we make when we become Christians. When we become Christians, we are making a vow to God that we will turn from sin, that we will follow after Him, that, we, he, he will, <clears throat> that His Son will be our Lord. He will be our King. Uh, and, and that is a vow that we need to faithfully be keeping. And God expects us to keep. Second, we are prone to forget our vows when God has fulfilled His end of the deal, His side of the vow. We saw where God fulfilled His side here, but Jacob had not. We saw that God, that God had been with him. His forgetfulness seems to occur as most oftentimes does <coughs> when vows are made in times of trouble. When a vow is made in a moment of despair. Maybe, maybe you're getting, getting on an airplane. Uh, I, I kind of think of this because we'll be getting ready to get on an airplane in the next couple of months and make this 16-hour flight to, to Africa. And maybe when you're getting on that airplane, or maybe while that airplane is flying, you experience some turbulence uh, and you just kind of make those, those vows that oftentimes feel kind of silly to us and and maybe sometimes we just pay them, play them off. We say, if, I'll, if you will get me there safely, Lord, I will blank. Things aren't going maybe as well in your marriage as you wish they would. You say, oh, if only things would be better. If things would be better, Lord, I would attend every service more regularly. Or finances. That seems to be a really big problem for just about everybody these days. You say, if I could just maybe get that bonus. Or God, if I could just get this raise. If somehow I could just... I could get enough to get by. I would, I would serve more and I would give more. I would be more, more liberal in my charity and et cetera and et cetera. And oftentimes, oftentimes we don't really think much about these types of promises that we are making to God. Even when we're making them. Even as the words are coming out of our mouths, we oftentimes don't give a lot of thought about them. But we need to understand that these are vows and they are just as binding and so they need to be given and made with careful reflection and careful thought. Third thing I want to point out is, a lot of times we forget our vows when things start going well. This is the case with Jacob. Things are, are not going good at the time when he makes these vows in Bethel. He is running for his life. His brother has said, I'm going to kill you. He is out in the wilderness sleeping on a rock. And God gives him this, this great promise, this dream that... that that catches his attention and then the promise that is just magnificent that follows. 
And he wakes up and he, he understands. And he says, if, if God will do these things, then I will do this. I will come back and I will set up this altar. <clears throat> but in the case of Jacob, we see God keeping his end of the deal. And we see things starting to go well. And, and Jacob has a nice family now. He has all these children. He has become extremely wealthy. He has settled down in his home country, the land where he comes from, Canaan. Oftentimes, what we see is this is very true for Christians as well. Many times we obey God because things are, are not what they should be. We are troubled in our lives. And when we are troubled and we see how, how terrible things are, it is very easy for us to see what we need to do. But later, especially if we endure security, security from maybe the things that were troubling us to begin with, it's possible for us to forget our commitment that we made to God and to Christ. Security seems to be a huge motivating factor for man throughout history. We want it. We, we, we need security. We need to feel like things are going to be okay. Jacob needed to feel. He was scared and running. He needed to feel like things were going to be okay. And, and at that time, he was looking to God for that security. He said, God... If you will get me through this, if you will take me safely, if you will keep your promises, he recognized where that security was coming from. So oftentimes in our lives, we fall on hard times. Things Sometimes we even just have to hit rock bottom for us to open our eyes up and see where true security comes from. And that God provides the only real security that we can ever hope to attain. But then as we begin to pick up the pieces begin to start putting that puzzle back together that we call our life, it's easy to once again turn to ourselves for that security. To look at my the, the things that make me feel good in the moment. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's money or entertainment. Whatever it is, the thing that I, that I feel the most secure with, that's what I'm going to turn back to. And maybe that's why God gave a warning to Israel whenever they went into the promised land about forgetfulness. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 20, as the Israelites are getting ready to, to go into the promised land, God recognized that, that they would be encountered, or they would encounter this same feeling that has plagued man for, for all, all time, this feeling that security lies within. In Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 20, he says, Beware that you, not do, that you do not forget the Lord your God, by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes, which I am commanding you today. <coughs> Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied, and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led, led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of, rocks of, out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you power to make wealth, that He may confirm His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. 
It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. This was the same problem they were having, a problem that still plagues us to this day, that people so oftentimes, when things go well, look to themselves and say, look at what I've done. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've made for myself. And we are prone to forget that we have made a vow to God to serve Him as our Lord and to look to Him for security. We also are prone to forget our vows and we have allowed ourselves to be influenced by the world. Jacob's family had been influenced by those around him, by the people around them. In Genesis 35 verse 2 Jacob, after God tells Jacob to do this, he says to his household and all who are with him, put away the foreign gods which are among you and purify yourself and change your garments. What a, what a thing to, to read after this, this uh, mighty event when, when God comes to Jacob and says, go to Bethel, the great and, and, and one true God. And Jacob turns to, turns to his family and says, okay, put away these, these fake gods. Put away these foreign gods these things that had influenced them and crept into their lives. In similar fashion, many people do not live up to the vows that they have made when they became Christians because they have allowed the world to creep in and to influence them. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, we read of Demas who, who, had, who had left Paul because he, he had a love for the world. And it's commonly believed that Demas' love for the world was more in line for his love for, for physical life. Demas is with Paul. He sees Paul being, being uh, in the trouble that it was coming, being, being stoned and, and being in prison. He knows what's going on <coughs> in Paul's life. And, and so it's very likely that Demas simply had a, a love for this physical life. He looked at all that and said, you know, I really don't want to go through all that pain and all that trouble. But for so many, our love for things in this world, oftentimes draw, just like they did for Demas, our eyes away from God. Oftentimes for, for young Christians who, who may be very zealous at first, they come to, to God and they come into Christianity and they, they are ready, that they are, they are full of, of, of spirit and they want to do good things and they want to work for the Lord, but over time they become influenced. Maybe it's influenced by their peers. And as they go back, uh, possibly to school or to, to work, and they're around those who, who don't understand this, this change that they're making in, this, in their life. And their decisions maybe put them at odds with their friends. Or maybe it's the things that they are, are bombarded with, we are po constantly bombarded with on, on television. These popular ideas that, that are programs that, that fill us with things that distract us from truth, distract us from the things that are most important and fill our hearts with greed or unfulfilled desires to, to, to have more. Whenever we have so much in front of us and, and constantly we're bombarded with this idea that, yeah, but there's something better. There's always something better. Or even that more and more likely, there's scenes of, of, of lust and, and immorality. Even in our schools, oftentimes, even though I, I don't believe intended, we have these humanistic teachings that, that really show that mankind is the be-all, end-all. 
We are to look out for number one. We are to do our best to get ourselves to, to where we need to be in life. And there is really nothing greater than man. And when we look at that, and we look at all these things that surround us, it's really not a hard stretch of the imagination to understand why it's possible to lose interest in spiritual matters, to lose interest in the vow, the promise that we made to God that said, I will be faithful to you and to no one else. But that's not just a problem for young Christians. That is a problem for old Christians as well. We are still influenced by materialism. We are influenced by immorality in our society. These same dangers exist. But again, these cannot be excuses for forgotten vows. Another lesson I want us to point out is, if we do forget our vow, if we do come to a time where where we have forgotten the promises we have made to God, then we need to go back to the beginning. When God came to Jacob and He told him, I want you to to go back to Bethel and build an altar. He didn't say, just build an altar right here and we'll, we'll, we'll call it square. He said, I want you to go back to where I first met you. Where I first came into contact with you in that dream. Where I gave you these promises. I want you to go back and to remember everything that I have told you I would do and see that I have done it. That was what Jacob was told. Go back to Bethel. In a similar way, Jesus has told the church at Ephesus, go back to the beginning. If you remember Revelation chapter 2, let's turn over there. Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, in, his letter to, in the letter to the church at Ephesus, we read that they had lost their first love. They said, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. They had left their first love and they weren't just told, you need, you, you need to, to start doing things right again. They were said, you need to remember from where you have fallen. You need to look back to those things that you, that you did at first when you first became Christians. You need to repent and do those first works. And for Christians, so oftentimes, when we forget our vows, we need to go back to the beginnings, to the fundamentals of the Bible. We need to look at study and prayer and and God in, in the sense of His love for us and the efforts and the links that He's went to redeem us. But we need to go back to the beginning. So oftentimes, whenever, whenever a, an athlete is, is maybe not performing as well as they should. Uh, they ball game has gotten a little sloppy. They're they're missing they're missing free throws. They're they're missing uh, uh, three pointers. Whatever whatever they're struggling with this time. Oftentimes they will put them back to the very basics. We're not going to work on on how to to set up a, the the right sort of screenplay. We're not going to work on on the more complicated and and, and difficult parts of the game. We're going to the fundamentals. This is how you dribble. This is how you stand. This is how you shoot. So oftentimes in Christianity, we need to step back, especially if we have forgotten our vows and said, I need to go back and just look at these first things and, and learn them all over again and, and apply them to my lives all over again. And then we need to remember that if we will do that, if we will for, fulfill our forgotten vows, there are renewed blessings 
When Jacob fulfilled his vow, God appeared to him and renewed the promises that he had made to Abraham and to Isaac. We read about that in Genesis 35. uh, As he came back to him, he renewed all these promises. And the same thing can be for us. It may be that we have forgotten the original commitment that we made when we first obeyed the gospel. It can be that we have forgotten that Christ is our, is our Savior, but our Lord and our King, and is the sole authority in our lives. And if we have forgotten these things, if we will just return, we will look back to the, the first things and realize where it is we have fallen from and repent and go back to those things in repentance and in prayer and fulfilling our vow of service and devotion to Him, all the spiritual blessings that He has to offer us can be ours again. Turn over to 1 John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Being purified from unrighteousness is a promise, is a blessing that comes from giving our life to the Lord. And if we forget those vows and we fall away from Him, we fall from His grace. If we are separated or severed from Christ, we lose that purification. But by, but by remembering our vow, by repenting and, and prayerfully going to God with forgiveness, we can renew the vows that He has made us and be cleansed, as we read here, from unrighteousness in John, 1 John 1, nine, Are you a Christian but not living a dedicated and committed Christian life? The life that God expects. Are you like Jacob, having been at one time very close to the promises that God has given, and to the vow and the promise that you have made to Him. But yet, as as time has went on, maybe things have gotten really good for you. Something has come and has kind of made that relationship, that vow that you made, a little fuzzy, a little tarnished. You need to come back to the Lord in full repentance. If we have forgotten our vows, we need to come back to the Lord with the repentance that we read about. Nehemiah, as the book is read before the people and they realize all the things that they should have been doing for so long they had not been doing, and they, and they remember who it is that they serve and what He has done for them through, through their lives, bringing them out of Egypt, bringing them out of slavery, and these people stand and they are moved to tears because they know just how great a God it is they serve and they know how far from Him they had fallen. We need to come back to the Lord and with that sort of repentance. With the repentance that says, I know the shape that I am. And I know the blessings of heaven that await me if I will just come to Him. And that, that stands for us as well if we have not yet become Christians. These blessings are there for us. Blessings of God who will take us out of the slavery of sin and, and the the ensnare and the entanglement that sin has placed in our lives. He will take those things away and He will, he will give us passage into a beautiful rest, a glorious eternity with God in heaven. These things can
can be yours if only you will accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, which says, amongst other things, like in Mark 16, verses, verse 16, unless you believe and are baptized, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. We have, we have God's promise to us, a promise to take care of us, a promise to love us and to be patient with us and to be merciful with us and one day to live with us in heaven. When we make a vow back to him, it says he will be our God, he will be our Lord, we will accept him as our Savior. If that would be your desire this morning, there is only one way in which you can do that, and that is through a complete and total submission to His Word in believing that He is the God and repenting of your sins and confessing that you believe He is the, uh, Jesus is the Son of God and being buried with Him in baptism. If these things are your will this morning, it is our will to assist you no matter what. No matter what way we can, we want to assist you. If you are subject to God's invitation, I encourage you, please come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.